Welcome to Butterflies and Bravery. This is episode 10. Yep. Woohoo. Super exciting. It's an auspicious number. <laughs> <laughs> Today we have Priscilla here with us, and she is going to be sharing her sister's story. We're actually going to have her to share her story at a later date, not so distant future. <laughs> <laughs> But today, she wanted to share her sister's story. A little bit of background from what I know, which is very minimal. Priscilla is going to be the one who tells us the story. There was an accident in July, July 16, 1995. One of the reasons why we wanted to do it at this time to honor the 26th anniversary. The anniversary of the accident. My name is Whisper. I am the co-host of Butterflies and Bravery. And Priscilla, do you want to tell us anything about yourself as our guest? Or we can just get right into it, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot to tell. More about me will come out in the later episode. Where do we start? <laughs> How old were you when this incident occurred? I was six, about to turn seven in August. So, yeah, I was very young when it happened. Yeah. But I remember almost everything <laughs> about yeah. that year. From July on, <laughs> kind of ingrained into my memory. When something that traumatic happens, I think in psychology they call it the flashbulb memory, which is like it freezes in your mind i have a lot of those moments <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, yes, i'm sure we all do <laughs> priscilla comes from a similar background as both of us were you born into the cult born and raised i'm the okay. fifth out of seven and we were all born and raised cult group whatever you want to call it <laughs> yeah. and when did you end up leaving i left when i was 17. It was around 2005, 2000 when I finally left. And it was definitely one of the catalysts for me leaving was the accident and everything surrounding it and how it was, I guess, portrayed to everyone else, the outside world as well, because yeah. they only released stuff that they wanted to release in their narrative about yep. right. everything that happened. Yep, everything gleaned and rephrased. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, heavily. I do remember this happening because I was still in at the time trying my very hardest to get out. And I remember mm -hmm. the story coming up because it was a horrific accident in the first place. Big news for a lot of us. And I even remember, I was like, are you kidding me with this? I was really over the bullshit at this point. And I was, I was, just, I was like, fucking Nail in the me. coffin. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And that's funny because that's kind of the general consensus that I've gotten in the groups that I've posted it in. And even amongst my family and a lot of, I guess I would be like third generation. I don't even know. Older generation told me like, that event was like 
the nail in the coffin for them. According to the group, it was the most traumatic thing or horrific thing that had happened in the group. But of course, this was before Ricky and all of that. So right. next to that, it's kind of like the biggest widespread one. Oh, yeah, no, it was... Yeah, and the general consensus was like, hey, this is bullshit. <laughs> we know there's more behind this than what's being let out. Me being so young when it happened, I kind of didn't know any different than what they had put out. Now that I'm older, I actually just went back and read the whole series, which was like a four-part series. Oh my god. Leading up to doing this episode, because I just kind of wanted to refresh everything before coming into it. And seeing it now was so much harder than when I was younger and in it because that's all I ever knew so now I'm looking at it with fresh eyes and like kind of knowing the truth about everything how was this even allowed to be put out to people absolutely because in all of them it was kind of like this progression it started out as hey this accident happened and it was just not all of them specifically by name at first and i guess more information came out then they started naming everybody yeah what's a quick overview of the main details the intersection where it happened in austin is a really bad intersection and there had already been i want to say four or five big accidents before the this one occurred and the stop sign if you didn't drive through there every day you wouldn't really know it was there jesse was the driver i guess and apparently he ran the stop sign because it was very faded and there was trees growing over it how many were in in the car at the time and how many people survived or didn't survive I believe there was 12 altogether because five girls, including my sister, died. And the lady in the pickup truck that they hit, she died as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was her and her husband in the car and she passed away. Her husband survived. And in the van, there was the five girls that passed away and then there were seven other people Okay, that were injured as well as some of them critically injured to various degrees yeah did any of those other ones survive there was seven in in the van that survived and then the husband of the lady in in the pickup truck that they hit he survived as well i thought that i had remembered them saying that everybody died except for the driver Uh, (laughs) yes i do remember that as well like i was just like what the heck there was different stories being put Mm -hmm. out because someone said that the home that she was in she was just told that that one of the brothers and the sister died as soon as it was an ongoing news story just so many details were put out at once and then they kept adding on to it i guess as information came in or they got the information the cult right away tried to take control of the story right the narrative yeah i did go back and read all the letters that they put out about it and in started out very general it was like okay these people were involved in the accident and then all the prophecies started coming out about oh we're hearing from the people that passed away in the accident 
And it started out very general, saying, hey, it was for the greater good. There was a bigger purpose. God needed us more than everyone on earth needed us. And I hate that phrase more than anything. It was right around the time, too, that the cult was really getting into the quote-unquote spirit world. And that there was this whole world going on around us. All these demons, all these angels, all this Mm -hmm. stuff. So that just fed right into Mm -hmm. the narrative. Yeah, and that's one of the biggest points, especially in my family, one of the biggest grievances was they kind of latched on to her specifically for whatever reason they attached themselves to my sister and kind of dug claws deep and was, okay, we're going to attach to this person. So then it came out. It's like, oh, we're hearing from this person, and she identified herself as Victoria. And then they started getting little snippets, and then it turned into them actually going further than that. And Zervi kind of taking over the whole thing and was just like, this was a horrific thing that happened. I can kind of relate because when I lost my husband, Mo, whatever, he went by the leader of the whole freaking thing. When I lost it, it was terrifying. I didn't know what to do. I was like, great. <laughs> now, when I read that, it was like, okay, great. That was your husband. That was someone you chose to be with. This was my sister someone's child not to mention her husband died of alcoholism not yeah (laughs) her husband was a drunk and (laughs) died because he drank himself to death not the same i'm sorry that is just so insulting yeah and it just went on and on for the whole four part series it was always came back to her making it about herself and instead of everybody else saying, hey, I'm sorry this happened to you. Or, sorry you lost this person. No, this was this happened to bring us closer together as a family. And it was like, no. <laughs> like, it was my sister. <laughs> like, yeah. She was a person. She has a name and she has her own story. Right. But the cult was claiming that they were hearing from her from the spirit world, literally putting Mm -hmm. her words, saying, I'm channeling Victoria and mm -hmm. speaking as her. Then Zerby went further with it and took our family's nickname for her and put it out there and said, hey, she chose me to be my personal spirit helper. And then it was published further into the kids' magazines and everything as, hey, this is Mama Maria's spirit helper, Tori. That's when everyone in my family was just like, okay, stop. (laughs) Like, no one knows that name besides us. No one used it besides us and the people that were closest to her. A lot of people didn't really know her from what my parents have said, because at that time we were living on our own for the most part. They were in Mexico when she was born and then they came back to the States and then had 
my other siblings all in Texas and they lived mostly on their own at that time. They weren't in a big home like it turned into later. Right. Unless you lived with us in Atlanta or New Orleans where we were living at the time when it happened. She wasn't as known as some of the other ones that were involved in it. She was 14 when she died. So your family, your parents, they were living in New Orleans at the time, you said? Yes, we were living in New Orleans. And it happened in all? In Austin, Texas. Okay. Were they yes. there for a reason or? From what I know, they were there for like a scene trip. Like they were going around to different churches and seeing like we used to do. Yep. <laughs> Spreading the word of God. Right. <laughs> and that's why there's so many of them in the, in the mm-hmm. car. Yeah, that, yeah, that's kind of what I thought, too. It sounded like it was road mm. trip. Ding, ding. New, New cult glossary, glossary word. word. Road trips to us road did trip. not mean the same thing it, didn't, it means to right. Yeah, <laughs> It was not <laughs> fun and games. It was right? your yeah. to spread the word of God to all these lost souls. Yeah, <laughs> they also called them faith trips. Most yeah. of the time, we would go out... As a group, they would send a certain amount, say there's 20 people in the home, maybe five of them would go on a road trip. It would be very carefully selected who was going to go, yep. you know, by, mm-hmm. oh, you're spiritual and la da da, and oh, you're strong and you got this and you mm-hmm. can sing and you got that talent. We'd go out and we'd go what we called by faith, which meant we had no money, like at all. I remember doing this with my daughter when she was six months old. When I went back to Russia, I was still crazy enough to be like, (laughs) let's just go on a road trip. I mean, okay, I got bottles for her. We're good. (laughs) Yeah. So you would, you rely on the kindness, pretty much the kindness of people feeding you and putting you up. A lot of seedy situations. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We got ourselves into lots of not so great situations, some pretty bad motels and stuff because nobody else would give us a room. A lot of times churches were somewhat charitable to our cause because Mm -hmm. what we would tell them is we're Christian missionaries and we're helping to save the world. We're feeding the orphans and clothing the homeless and all of this stuff. And I mean, we did. Granted, we did. And I know in Russia, we had a great charity project going on, but that was kind of later on. Before Mm -hmm. that, I'd say that the outreach as far as where the money went to help the poor was extremely minimal. Most of it went to operating costs. It was like 90% operating costs, 10% charity. Does that sound about right? (laughs) About right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And of that 90%, 50 went into the leadership. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Because we were out there starving on the mission field while they had $1,000 a week for food budgets. So just. So so (laughs) Christ-like. So you guys, the distance thing, that's horrible because that means that your parents were that far away from the the situation itself. Couldn't even go right away. My dad was actually in... Dallas at the time when it happened because he went to Dallas I think for a family reunion I could be wrong but he was there visiting his family when it happened so he fortunately was a lot closer than we were in New Orleans I remember being told and now looking back it was so nonchalant how they came and told us they just came in our room and kind of sat me and 
my younger siblings down of, hey, there's been an accident, your sister died or, you know, was one of them that was in critical condition. And another thing that a lot of people don't know is the van that they were in was our van. Oh. Was my family's van. I remember just like the stories of my parents, how they told it was there was a lot of stuff wrong with it. We didn't really use it for big stuff like that. We used it around the city and not for long road trips like that because the brakes are bad. The seatbelts didn't work right, which was one of the major things in that accident was the seatbelts weren't functional. So a lot of them weren't wearing seatbelts. After the accident, we actually got to go to the impound where the van was and just seeing it, it was flat as a pancake. There was nothing left. There was literally nothing left of it. I remember going in trips and then as a kid and laying down in the back, sleeping there. (laughs) I have so many memories in that van. And then just to see it gone was just like, oh my God, what hit it? It was literally something out of like Final Destination or something to where (laughs) nothing was there. That must have made it even more difficult because not only did you lose your sister, but you lost something that had emotional memories for you as well. Yeah. Wow. I can't even imagine how difficult that must have been. And you were so small too. Mm -hmm. That kind of lit us up as a family after that, because right after that accident happened, my oldest sister immediately left the home that we were in in New Orleans and went and lived with one of the other families of one of the girls that was involved in the accident who passed away with my sister because her being older, she knew most, if not all the people in the van. We knew a lot of them because we lived with certain ones of them in New Orleans at the time. And so for us, it was like not only losing our sister, but we lost friends. And then the aftermath was basically losing our other oldest sister because she left. And then it just kind of started the fracturing of our family because then my brothers went off. They left the people that knew her the most in our family and had the most memories of her were gone and it was just me and my two younger siblings left to kind of pick up the pieces I guess. yeah right. or try, and try to make sense of what even happened yeah. I'm sorry that's so difficult that yeah. was probably a really pivotal point in your life then huh yeah <laughs> definitely was not only for me but for my family because everything kind of overshadowed her because then it became all about the driver and then all the attention was on him and was like we all need to pray for him because he was in a coma for an extended period of time weren't they claiming to have prophecies from him as well 
they said the reason for his coma was he was in so much guilt that he didn't want to wake up. For anybody involved in a situation like that and being the driver, I can only imagine what he was going through. Like, you were in a coma and then to wake up and being told that, hey, you were in an accident, you were responsible for six people losing their lives, one being your sister, yeah, <laughs> his right. own sister, and then injuring his brother in that accident along with all these other people. Has there been any type of communication or do you guys talk to the driver at all? Like, <laughs> That's a very <laughs> loaded question. Um, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, there's a lot of differing opinions towards him. I know me personally for the longest time i couldn't even look at him see anything about him just hearing his name or anyone with that name it was kind of just like oh my god go away don't talk to me (laughs) throughout the years he contacted me directly and we had conversations over the years about it and i kind of entertained it at first because i was just like okay let's see what he has to say and see if he has any you know remorse for anything or took any accountability for it granted he was a teenager himself at the time like stupid stuff happens i get it at the same time it was (laughs) very hard to understand how you could let that happen So I went for years not talking to him. I wanted nothing to do with him. My siblings still to this day don't want anything to do with him. (laughs) There's so many different emotions that come when you're in the midst of losing someone or losing someone close to you. But to top that all out was just the way that the cult treated it. They Mm -hmm. didn't give you any way to properly grieve or properly mourn. It was like, no, God came down and said that he wanted this to happen anyway, so stop crying. Like That was the attitude. Nobody could process it properly. Yeah, like It was just insanity. I remember even at the funeral that they had for it, which was, in my opinion, (laughs) total bullshit. (laughs) I didn't even cry or show any emotion I was kind of just there and I remember even at that age looking around at everyone else everyone else was crying and everyone was kind of looking at me like okay why aren't you crying being more emotional about this even till this day it's very hard for me to show emotions in serious situations like that I don't know what you want me to do. Do you want me to fall down on my knees and be like, oh my God, (laughs) why did this happen? And part of that ties into, like you said, there wasn't any closure at all. It was kind of like, this happened for the greater good of everybody. God has a bigger plan for them and he needed them more than we needed them here on earth. Yeah, like that's great for you and what you want to spin it into. And in religious circles, there are people that colloquially say, "Okay, well, mm-hmm. God needed the angel in heaven more than we need," but that's their own voice mm-hmm. and that's their own 
way to comfort themselves. It wasn't like your leadership coming in and saying, well, no, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. God took them from you because. <laughs> yeah. And my parents hold a lot of guilt, understandably. So one, it was being our van. And also my sister didn't even want to go on that trip because she was very introverted like she was very shy she wasn't out there like all the other kids were of course she was born into it we didn't know anything else so we're just like this is what god wants me to do and she was the most spiritual person you could ever be around (laughs) you know and she was always very attentive towards us younger siblings or just younger kids in general kids just gravitated towards her anytime we were in trouble or in punishment for something i remember she would come in and sneak in and check on us and be like hey are you okay like i'm sorry this is happening or she would bring us little snacks and everything (laughs) the general consensus that i've gotten from everybody that knew her was she was the kindest person you could ever meet she would give you the clothes off her back if you needed them and one girl she was telling me i think they stopped at their home during the road trip she said my sister gave her a bracelet Hmm. and i was like damn that is so my sister (laughs) she had this little jewelry box and she was always just giving stuff away if she would just randomly pick a person and be like, hey, you look like you need this. <laughs> and she said that she gave her a bracelet. And after she left, she lost it. And she was so sad. She was like, oh, my God, I'm never going to get one. And then shortly after the accident happened, she found it at the bottom of her pool. Oh, wow. Oh, and wow. I was like, oh, my gosh, that is crazy. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Has your family ever done their own memorial? Because obviously, like you were saying, the the funeral memorial, that was led by the leadership. Yeah. Once people left and you guys had more time on your own, did you guys ever do your own personal memorial for her? I don't know if that year we did. Shortly after the accident happened, we moved from New Orleans. We went up to Austin and actually stayed at a Ronald McDonald house. There, it was us and all the families of the people that were involved in the accident were all at the Ronald McDonald house because I know some of them were like from Canada and other places. I don't think anyone actually lived in Austin at that time. A lot of us were at the Ronald McDonald house after that happened. We tried to go every year for the anniversary or her birthday which is in september my sister recently went up there because she goes to austin pretty frequently and she cleans all the grave stones because like they're all in a line all the five girls right next to each other and actually the dad of one of the girls that passed away he's also buried there too Mm. he passed away recently within the last couple years and he was buried there as well my oldest sister she goes there every year and cleans everything up my 
family makes a point of going there. Every yeah. Chance okay. we get, we try to go all together. And recently we've started doing video calls when we're there for the people that can't make it. It's such a sensitive topic in our family. We rarely ever talk about it. We rarely even talk about hers. So a member of her family and say just to validate her and say, yes, she was a person. She wasn't some figment of imagination. Someone just latched on and used yeah. for their yeah. own exploitation and everything else. Yeah. Her passing was like a catalyst or kind of set the path for all of our lives <laughs> after that. Sure. I don't think to this day any of us have actually ever processed it properly because yeah. I know myself I started going to counseling when I was 16 years old oh wow that's so brave of you good for you for other reasons <laughs> <laughs> not specifically that but yeah when I was 16 I was diagnosed with I know y'all have said it in one of your other episodes. I think it's complex PTSD. Just one thing, it's like compounded. Right. Yep. But I was diagnosed with complex PTSD, chronic depression, debilitating anxiety, agoraphobia. Most counselors don't know how to help people like us. They're not taught how to they didn't learn that in school yeah they didn't deal with people <laughs> coming out of cults and stuff like that most therapists just are like wait what okay and then what happened <laughs> <laughs> because i've gone through five or six different therapists trying to find somebody that wasn't like trauma just porn. Tra trauma right. porn yes that's right <laughs> like oh my god this is so juicy yeah and they're like i'm gonna write a paper on it and they start taking all these notes and you're like right? no i know for a lot of people in the cult they were separated further from their families at a young age and yeah we were very fortunate to at least have one of our parents with us at all times yeah. <laughs> and yeah. living there. And I think that made such a huge difference in our relationship, even now with them, because now they see it for what it was. I was talking to mom about it the other day because I told her I was going to be doing this. And she was just like, that's very brave of you because she knows I don't do stuff like this and for sure I was like it's not about bashing anybody like I'm not out there to like say oh the cold horrible place and bashing anybody specifically because there are so many families involved in it I didn't want to cause any more pain for anyone else's family it's just like hey this is my story and if you happen to be or you know my sister's story and if you happen to be involved in it so be it i'm not attacking you or your family like yeah and she was just like why did we even stay <laughs> yeah she was, because in the very beginning 
stages of the group, it was something totally different than what it turned into. I've talked to other FGAs that were some of the first people that ever joined. Ding, ding. New cult glossary word. FGAs is first generation adults. That means the people that originally joined the cult, not those who were born into it. My uncle was in it as well. My mom's brother was actually the one that got my mom to join. And he was in all the pictures in the early days with the whole sackcloth and ashes with the big old billboards on them. And then my dad's sister was also in as well. And one of the early homes too. And it was nothing but good stuff because that's like kind of just was the birth of it happening. And then it turned into all the flirty fishing and free love and (laughs) all those other weird (laughs) crap. My parents were always very good about making us feel validated and they are very apologetic now they're like okay we see for it for what it was now and we're sorry we even stayed that long i understand better from where they're coming from because you didn't know then what you know now you made the best decision that you thought was the best at that time like you thought this was a great place to have a family then it turned into not being such a great place <laughs> because yeah. families weren't promoted jesus others then you so you were always last it was like always putting people before you so family units weren't like that's selfish <laughs> yep do you yourself have like a personal memory of your sister your favorite or your go-to that you that you're <laughs> love to remember about her honestly wish i did but i have huge chunks of time gaps throughout my life that i don't remember that i would love to kind of open those boxes and find out what my brain is keeping from me (laughs) yep i'm scared of that yeah (laughs) i'm scared and (laughs) i always tell people now i have memory like dory you could tell me something and five seconds later i'll be like what what did you say yeah yeah (laughs) yeah good old old cptsd (laughs) right right yeah i always tell people that my brain is like swiss cheese (laughs) yeah Exactly. Bunch of holes, <laughs> right? Holy. Right. Unless there yeah. was something big, then yeah. probably don't remember timelines that great. Yeah. Well, especially because you were so young, it just probably all merged together as one big like mm-hmm. memory of of this thing that overshadowed your growing up. Yeah. Well, I know it was really big news. Like you said, the biggest thing that had kind of ever mm-hmm. happened to, especially the kids. Yeah. The second generation born into the mm-hmm. almost like the biggest tragedy. I bet there's a lot of families and and friends that knew your sister and the other mm-hmm. ladies in their car that are so grateful to hear you talk about it. And like you said, put a face 
to her. It's, it's your sister, and it was beautiful. Thank you for honoring her like that. Yeah. It's just hard to talk about all that emotional stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. I cry in every episode. I cry when I'm editing every episode. Right. Yeah. <laughs> part yeah, of the deal. Memories aside, though, the thing that I think is the important about these stories is for people in your life and you yourself to be able to acknowledge this is the shit that I went through. Yeah. This is the shit that I survived. This is the shit that I've overcome. And look how amazing I can do this. I can withstand this. If even just for that reason, I think it's so important and so powerful. And also it encourages other people to tell their stories too, because a lot of people are a bit scared or Sometimes they just don't want to stir up the emotions. I think yeah. a lot of the reasons yeah. we gloss over those kind of things is because the emotions are difficult mm -hmm. to deal with. But we have to at some yeah. point yeah. because they're always going to be there and it's not going to go away. The situation's never going to change. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, and this is just human nature, but there's a lot of shame that gets attached to it yeah. too. And and the only way to break free of that shame is to bring it out in the open. Exactly. <laughs> it, so yeah. it, it's little by little, it's healing steps little by little yeah. <laughs> as yeah. we try to make our way through this world. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why I wanted to do this. It's so huge in my family because we, like I said, we don't talk about it ever unless it's like the anniversary of it or her birthday. And even then it's kind of like, it's her birthday. <laughs> like, congratulations. <Yeah. laughs> but it essentially broke my family apart for a long time because like I said my oldest sister left and we wouldn't see her for maybe like five to ten years at a time because oh, wow. she was off in other places and she was in Central America for a lot of her time in the family when my younger sibling was starting to leave it was kind of like, okay, if my whole family is out, there's no reason for me to say. There was so many points for me where it was kind of just like, okay, this is not it anymore. I can now relate to how my parents felt because I lost two children myself. I had a miscarriage in 2007 and one in 2012, but the one in 07 was the most memorable for me because that was right after I left. I actually messaged Zerby about it. When did Ricky's whole thing happen? 2005. When I saw. Noah's documentary that he put out yep. and saw Ricky's whole video because I know that was another huge thing because yeah. he was the prince. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I remember messaging her and was just like, hey, I get it. I can empathize. At that point, I was still in the brainwashing stages. So I was like, I can empathize with you because I just lost a child. And the reaction I got was so beyond anything I 
thought I was going to get. And it was like, that happened to you because you left the group. You were outside of God's will. Shut up. Oh, that, my. Yeah. oh my God. I wish I had the letter to this day because that verbatim was what it said. Wow. And I was like... Are you kidding me? Was a wake up point. Yeah, I suppose someone blaming you for the death of your own child. Yeah. Like, how is that my fault? And then to make matters worse, I was told by like 10 plus doctors after that that I would never be able to carry my own children to full term. So I was like, oh shit, okay, because ever since I was a kid, that's all I wanted was, like, have a million kids because kids gravitate towards me. So hearing that was like, oh my god. And then just everything that came out about Ricky and everything else, I was like, this is your child. (laughs) And even then, your blinders didn't come off. You're just like... He yeah. was outside of God's own. This is why he did what he did. I was like, no, he did what he did because he was tired of your bullshit. <laughs> 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 and did it as a wake-up call to you, his yeah. mother. You're the reason why this whole series that was made about me was the reason why it happened to all these other kids. <laughs> you let this happen and facilitate it in it. <laughs> How can you not wake up from that? None so blind as those that will not see. <laughs> it's funny getting to use that now and the other way around. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. My heart practically jumped out of my chest when you said that about what happened. I'm so sorry, but I'm really looking forward to hearing more because just the little bits that you've told me already. I'm just like, you're a warrior queen. Yeah. <laughs> you are amazing. And thank you so much for coming and talking yeah. to us. Little by little, mm-hmm. we're healing our past. You're so brave. I can't wait to hear more, <laughs> more from you. Super excited to have you on to tell your own story. That's good. Way to give us a little sneak peek and wet the appetite. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And everybody's like, ooh, tell me more. Did you ever have children? Right. Don't tell them yet. Right. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, oh. I wanted to do mine because I don't broadcast my background yeah. <laughs> to a lot of people. The only people that really know about it in my direct family is people that married into my family or kids that my little sisters went to school with because they were the only ones that went to public school. The rest of us were homeschooled. (laughs) Now I'm kind of thankful for that because my introduction to school was cosmetology school. (laughs) I would never have made it in school. (laughs) I would have been the kid in the corner getting picked on for whatever reason. (laughs) Yeah, so you got to make it work for you. That's awesome. Sometimes we don't realize the wonderful things that we've done for ourselves until we look back and we're like, oh my God, I did that great, wonderful thing. Yeah. Oh, that that was that was great. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and right now in my family we're all kind of on this path of healing our family as a whole because there's so so much 
that has gone on with all of our individual paths that we've all taken. We all have some mental health. How can you not get out of that and be affected in some way? It actually helped because my mom, she was a psychiatric nurse in the army. So she had (laughs) the insight already into that world. So she kind of helped us all navigate it. My gosh, that's amazing. This might be what you have. My dad was actually the one that encouraged me to go into counseling and get help because it got to a point to where I couldn't function. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, hey, something's wrong, something bigger is going on here that <laughs> you need help for. We were very fortunate to have my parents there encouraging us all along the way and just be like, okay, time out. <laughs> yeah. Like, our kids need us more than this group needs us. And my parents are like very adamant now opening up and saying we realized what it was. I don't know why we even stayed as long as we did because there were so many times where they just wanted to leave but they didn't know how. And now it's kind of to the point, oh, we did missionary work for 30 years <laughs> and what do we have to show for it? You have seven kids. (laughs) Most of us came out of it and have leading somewhat successful lives now. (laughs) Never doubt your resilience. That's something to a person. I think Mm -hmm. every ex-member I've ever met to a person, our resilience is amazing. Never doubt that. (laughs) I have one close friend. She was actually my coworker. She was talking about how she's very into studying occult the whole occult thing and then studying different cults i was like oh i was born and raised in a cult and she was like oh which one i was like the children of god and she's like are you her face just like went (laughs) white as like she had seen a ghost or something she was just like are you serious because i've actually studied that group serious depth (laughs) And I was like, yep, <laughs> that's <laughs> the one I was raised to. <laughs> oh my gosh, yep. And I told her I was doing this, and she was like, what? No way, that's so cool. You're making a lot of people proud. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story and being so vulnerable and honest and open. It's been great talking to you. We're so grateful yeah. for you. Yeah, you're for amazing. You. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. We will see you again next week. Stay brave. (laughs) And remember, (laughs) every butterfly was once a caterpillar. (laughs) There you go.